This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. It's so good to see you here on this Labor Day weekend, a three-day weekend where a lot of Americans travel. Uh, Some of them try to travel by air, suckers, and uh, they're still in the air for it. Um, But it is a a weekend where traditionally we have uh, tried to pay respect and and thought to uh, the men and women that do the kinds of jobs that really make our nation um, run. But so often, they are still doing those jobs on Monday, so maybe we, maybe we failed that holiday. But it's an interesting uh, national holiday to think about and celebrate in light of uh, work almost being out of fashion right now. It's a strange thing. Uh, but work is a, a good and proper gift to us given by God. We're designed, um, we're designed to work. So we will be this morning in Colossians chapter 4, if you want to be turning there, Colossians chapter 4. I want to um, just remind you of a couple of things or let you know a couple of things before we start. Uh, two weeks from today, we will begin a new series through the book of Luke, through the New Testament gospel book of Luke. It's going to be a great series. I don't know how long uh, it's going to be. It's going to go until it doesn't, right, until we conclude Luke. We may pause here or there for some shorter series addressing different things, uh, but we're going to work our way all the way through the gospel of Luke, and I'm super excited about it, um, and I hope that you uh, will be intentional about praying for and investing in unchurched friends, co-workers, classmates, because the gospel of Luke, more than any other gospel, um, really lays out the heart of God for people that are far from God. The heart of God for people who um, consider themselves outside uh, of believing faith. And I think we're going to spend our time hopefully cultivating the same kind of heart that God does by the grace and goodness of the Holy Spirit as we journey through Luke. But it's going to be a great series to invite um, unchurched friends, family, classmates, co-workers to. Secondly, um, the app, the Lost Mountain Baptist Church app that has our sermons and sermon notes uh, pages on it. I was talking with our son, Cade, out here right before service started, and I said, hey, bud, do you ever use, do you ever open the sermon notes page on our app? And he said, we have an app? I said, yes, we have an app. So feel free to pull out your phone. If you don't have that downloaded on your phone, you should, and just search in your app store, Lost Mountain Baptist Church. It'll pop up there. You can tell which one uh, is us. Download that. If you've got the sermon notes page, um, and want to use that. You can follow along week in and week out. You don't have to take pictures on the screen uh, of quotes that you like. They'll be in there as well as some other things. So wanted to remind you of that. I don't know how many of you, I hope it's most of you, have at least an annual, at least an annual physical with your doctor where you go in and it's just a general kind of checkup uh, where they do some things so that they can gauge some markers Um, that tell them about your overall health as a human being. I do that uh, once a year. Mine's coming up in a few months. I'll say more about that 
uh, toward the end of the message, but a few things that they always check. They're always going to check your, your BMI, your body mass index, um, that comes from your, your height and your weight that tells them a lot about your propensity for different diseases there, right? They're going to do blood work, and they're going to check your cholesterol. They're going to check your blood sugar. They're going to check your, your heart rate, because a healthy resting heart rate for an adult, uh, depending on size, age, that kind of thing, runs between 60 and 100, closer to 60 is the more efficient, healthier that your heart is operating. They're going to check your blood pressure, right? And they do these things because these general things are markers of general human health. And one of the interesting things about the Apostle Paul and what uh, was his style of writing is that he would lay out typically theological truth early in letters. And then he would work out the behavioral and transformational implications of those theological truths. And then he would have a, a moment of transition where he would generally address the church that he was speaking to and just um, commend them to a few things that Paul seemed to consider general healthy characteristics or general characteristics of healthy believers. And we see this time in and time out in the Apostle Paul's letters. And we're going to look at those verses this morning in chapter 4 where he begins to transition from the main body of his letter to his closing with these um, markers that tend to characterize healthy believers. And my hope and my prayer and what I believe God wants us to do this morning is to lay ourselves before him in a kind of spiritual checkup, a sort of a, um, a, a spiritual version of what you go through if you have an, an annual visit with your doctor and just let the Lord speak to you about where you are regarding these characteristics that mark healthy followers of Jesus, that mark healthy followers of Jesus. Let's jump into Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. We're going to read 2 through 6. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to back, go back and look, and I'm going to pull out four characteristics of healthy believers that we see here that should characterize all of us, all of us, regardless of age, right, regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of race, regardless of what you do for a living, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, to lesser or greater degrees, depending on how long you've been a follower of Jesus, these markers should characterize your life. Let's start with verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we know and we confess to you this morning our tendency as dependent human beings to drift. God, we confess the tendency that we have for our hearts to wander from you. God, for the spiritual temperature of our lives to cool. God, we confess that this morning. We confess that as sin this morning. And God, ask that you'll forgive us of that. Father, that as we meet together this morning underneath the goodness and the beauty and the glory and the authority and the sufficiency of your word, that you will give us minds to understand and hearts to receive, ears to hear and eyes to see. God, I pray that by your grace and mercy, we will be able to lay ourselves before you. God, with faith and confidence in your love and delight in us. God, may we be renewed by you this morning. Recommitted to you as Lord and Savior of our lives. I pray in Jesus' faithful and beautiful name. Amen. All right, let's go back and look at this. Right out of the gate, you see that uh, one of the first things, first characteristics that is to mark us as healthy followers of Jesus is prayerfulness. Is prayerfulness. Now, praying and praying regularly and praying consistently and praying at consistent times, by which I mean there are times in your day where you have intentionally already decided that you're going to draw aside during that time for the express intentional purpose of praying, of undistracted, unhurried, unrushed, centered, and focused prayer. This has been throughout all church history, and remains today a central marker of health among the people of God. Prayerfulness, Paul says, devote, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's more than the idea of, yes, I, I pray all the time when I'm driving, um, when I'm in the shower, when I'm taking a test, when my kids are in trouble, when I think I'm in trouble with my parents. That's important, and that is to define our lives, right? That our lives are flavored by prayer from the moment that we awake to the moment that we go to sleep. And yet, the kind of devotion that Paul's talking about here is something a little bit different than that. He's talking about intentionality, being specific about it. And Paul, as a first century Jew, speaking to a church of both Jews and Gentiles, it would have been foreign to him that any follower of Jesus will not have specific times throughout the day when you and I already know we're going to pray. Now, sometimes your day, uh, depending on your vocation and your season of life, can be a little bit uh, undependable. Undependable, is that a word? Maybe. Cannot be dependent upon to operate the same way day in and day out, week in and week out, right? And that's okay. That's okay. We're not talking about creating chains and some kind of a legalistic thing that owns you then um, instead of you connecting with God. But the effort, the consistency to pray with intentionality is a marker 
of spiritually mature and maturing followers of Jesus. Paul talks about it here. He goes on and he says to be watchful and thankful to pray for us too and gives them some specific uh, content of that prayer. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim. And he goes on. This is Paul's custom. This is Paul's custom. In Ephesians chapter 6, as he's beginning to wind down his letter there, he says something of the same thing where you see almost a mirror passage there. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For all the Lord's people. You notice the content of our prayers is, is not 90% us and 10% others, at least biblically speaking. We're praying for one another. We're praying for the advance of God's kingdom and mission. We're praying for persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Tim Keller in his excellent book on prayer says that prayer is all. Prayer is all. Prayer is intimacy and struggle. Any of you that have ever attempted a consistent, growing, devoted prayer life will understand exactly what Keller is saying. It is awe, it is intimacy, and it is struggle. Yet it is the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. All Tim Keller is doing here is agreeing both mentally with what he sees to be true in Scripture and also experientially with what he's found to be true in his own life. How are you doing with prayerfulness? With prayerfulness. Especially as it pertains to having a few times each day where you just pause. Maybe you start your morning with prayer. You absolutely should. Centered and intentional prayer. And I don't know, but if you're like me, that can't be it. Like that doesn't, that doesn't give me sort of power and Christ-likeness and joy and the fruit of the Spirit and intimacy with God all day. I've got to reconnect sometime around midday with intentionality. Given this day's schedule at this time, it may be five minutes, but for five minutes, I'm not paying attention to my phone. I'm not listening to something. I'm not checking email. I'm not taking calls. I'm not having a meeting. For those five minutes or those ten minutes, I'm sitting still before God. In prayer, both speaking and listening. Obviously, in the evening, you want to think about your day and thank God for his provision. You want to lay and lift before God anxieties and stress and weights that are heavy on you before you lay down to sleep. How are you doing with prayerfulness? Paul also says, that healthy Christians are marked by gratitude, by gratitude. Paul says that the way in which we're to be giving ourselves to devoted prayer 
is in being watchful, being alert and paying attention to, to what we're doing. And some New Testament scholars say um, that, that this is a picture of being expectant, expectant that God's going to hear and he's going to be moving and answering our prayers, that we are in a relationship with the creator of the universe who hears and speaks, receives and answers. But we're to be praying as people who are watchful and thankful. Thankful. Throughout Paul's letters, this idea of gratitude is so deeply immersed, ultimately, throughout all of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as he's winding down that letter again, he says in verse 16, through 18, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Can you imagine? Rejoice as you're doing the laundry. Rejoice as you're doing the dishes. Rejoice as you're mowing. Rejoice as you're making the bed. Rejoice as you're folding the laundry, which is a hideous task that no one likes. Rejoice as you're unloading the dishwasher. Do you understand that through the Spirit of God, these are realities that we can cultivate? Like, God's not just simply going to produce it in us with no cooperation on our part. These characteristics, these markers of health are things that God produces in us for sure. But we have to intentionally cooperate with Him, walk with Him, cultivate habits that bring us before God so that His Spirit can do the work that His Spirit does. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually. It is um, the intentional, devoted times of prayer that give power to our guided, specific prayer throughout the day as we're driving, as we're working. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for a minute, church. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with giving thanks to God in all circumstances of your life because this is his will for you in Christ Jesus. I'll be honest, it was a rough week for me as I was studying this passage and I found this an annoying verse to deal with because what God did when he put the mirror before me was say, you're not very good at this right now, Matt. And it needs to change. It needs to change. Because it is my will that no matter what's going on around you, no matter what's happening at work, no matter what's happening with your family, no matter what's happening in your bank account, no matter what's happening in the news, that you are to give thanks. In all circumstances, for this is my will for you in Christ Jesus. How are you doing with that? How are you doing giving thanks in all the changes that we're swimming in as a culture, as a nation, 
as individual families, as churches. How are you doing it? Just saying, thank you, God. I know that you're in control and you're providing. I know that you're leading us forward and leading your church forward. How are you doing it giving thanks in times where your health just seems to not be on your side? At giving thanks when relationships are tense. At giving thanks when it's hard to trust that God is indeed for you. See, this isn't just to be understood. This is to be obeyed. Giving thanks here, Paul would tell us, is a choice. Gratitude and thankfulness as a way of life is a fruit that the Spirit develops in us over time that is tied directly to our joy. How are you doing giving thanks in all circumstances, knowing that it is God's will for you? This has always been the case. Here the author of First Chronicles say to us this morning, First Chronicles 16, 34, give thanks to the Lord. And then he tells us why. Paul says, for it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The chronicler goes a little deeper with what he's saying here. Give thanks to God for he is good. His love endures how long? How long? Forever. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. He is good. He is good. No matter your circumstances, He is good. No matter what's happening with your health, God is good. No matter what's in your bank account or not in your bank account, God is good. No matter who loves you or doesn't love you, God is good. No matter who's uh, in office or who's just kicked out of office, God is good. And his love endures forever. You can't outrun it. You can't outsin it. The world can't spin beyond its reach. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. How are you doing with this marker of gratitude in your life? Uh, Richard Foster, in a book on prayer, gives this commendation. He says, try to live one entire day in utter thanksgiving. This would be a great challenge for all of us to take this week, to pick a day this week and to try to live that entire day in utter thanksgiving. Balance every complaint with 10 gratitudes, every criticism with 10 compliments. Foster's not just playing a game there. He's saying that you and I are called to train ourselves in righteousness. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us and through us for his good and perfect will. The truth is, gratitude does so much in us. It's hard to be fearful when you're immersed in gratitude. Gratitude drives fear out. Thankfulness, part of why it does this is that thankfulness, gratitude itself, turns our hearts toward God and away from ourselves. Thankfulness turns our hearts toward God 
and away from ourselves. We're marked by prayerfulness. We're marked by gratitude. But at the heart of what Paul says here is this reality, that healthy followers of Jesus are marked by gospel centrality. We are marked by gospel centrality. At the, at the very core of, of our thinking and of our behavior and of what we set the affections of our hearts on and of what form our thought patterns and our values is the gospel itself. This is why Paul says in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He knows that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe, first to Jews, then to Gentiles. Paul's life was defined by the gospel. Listen to his word to us here. He says, as you're praying, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Pray that God may open a door for our message. Paul is assuming that the Colossians there are interested in the ongoing advance of the gospel through those that are proclaiming it so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. This phrase has been unpacked some in Colossians, but when Paul talks about the, the mystery of Christ, he's talking about God's heart for salvation for the whole world. Jew and Gentile, not for every single person, but that he will form a people who've trusted in Jesus from every tribe and tongue, nation, ethnicity group, ethnicity group, people group on earth. It will not be confined simply to the Jews or to Israel. This is God's great mystery that churches would be filled with diverse people who love and care for one another, who pray for one another, and who are not so bound up in self-interest that they're only praying for themselves or even for themselves and for one another, but that we're praying constantly for the advance of the gospel. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly, clearly as I should. This word clearly here has this connotation of, of unveiling or revealing making clear so that Paul would be able to take the mystery of Christ and unpack it so that it's clear that he's able to reveal by God's Spirit that which had been veiled from human hearts and minds until then. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. As I should. And he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. This is, this is gospel-centered language. This is the language of us taking back and reclaiming, in a sense, lost time or fallen time through the power of the gospel. To say, hey, be praying with me that God would open a door. And this is so powerful because Paul is not trusting on his intellect He's not trusting on his gifting. He's not trusting on his status as an apostle. He's not trusting simply on right doctrine. He knows that for human hearts to be open to the truth of the gospel and responsive, it has to be a work of God. It is a work that God initiates, that no human being comes to God unless God initiates a work in that human being. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ, for which I am in chains. Don't, don't miss that. The true gospel is not just a personal message. It is a political one. It says that people's supreme allegiance is not to a human ideology or doctrine. It's not to a political philosophy or party. It's not to a president or king or legislature or nation. It is to Christ himself. Above all and beyond all and before all. And it caused Paul to wind up in prison. Now, commenting on this idea of praying for God to open a door to his message, when asked about why he's a Christian, John Stott, who was a a profound voice for Christ in 20th century England, written a lot of great books. You can, you can uh, Google John Stott and see a lot of interviews with him, see him preaching. He said this, why I am a Christian is due ultimately, this won't be up on the screens, neither to the influence of my parents nor to my own personal decision for Christ. I want to pause there for a minute and challenge you with that. How many of you have been maybe led falsely into believing that you are a Christian due ultimately to your decision, your personal decision to follow Christ. I agree with Stott here. He says, it's neither due to the influence of my parents and teachers nor to my own personal decision for Christ, but to, quote, the hound of heaven, reaching back to that great poem. That is, it is due to Jesus Christ himself who pursued me relentlessly even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if, there were, and if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. This is what Paul is saying here. But God go first. But God go ahead of us. But God through his spirit make a way for us to preach and proclaim with clarity and with effectiveness the mystery, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That through a crucified and murdered Savior comes life in its fullest. Eternal. But that God goes first through his spirit. All is lost. There's a gospel centrality that's to mark followers of Jesus. How much time do you spend thinking about the beauty and the power and the goodness of the gospel itself? It is certainly a central marker of healthy followers of Jesus. One more this morning. Healthy followers of Jesus are not just marked by prayerfulness. We're not just marked by gratitude as much as even the book of Colossians says. Just a, a note here, Colossians 1, 3-4, Paul says, give thanks to God. Colossians 1, 12-14, Paul says to joyously give thanks to the Father. Colossians 2, 7, Paul says that we should be overflowing with gratitude. Chapter 3, verses 15-17, to 17, three references to gratitude and thankfulness in there just in Colossians alone. Be thankful for one another, worship and sing to God with thankfulness, and give thanks to through Christ, no matter what we do or say. It's not just 
prayerfulness that marks us. It's not just gratitude that marks us. It's not just gospel centrality. The last thing we see here is that healthy followers of Jesus are marked by theological formation. By theological formation. And I know some of you start to check out right here. But I want you to stay with me and lean in a little bit closer right now. I, I really wrestled back and forth with whether to put theological formation or biblical formation. Let me look at what Paul says here, and then we're going to unpack it just a little bit. Paul says in verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now before I go on, this is the idea that there is to be a sort of joyful graciousness to how we speak to people. And this idea of seasoned with salt has to do with not being boring when we talk to people about Jesus, right? Salt makes things tasteful. Salt is appealing. Full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that the reason that we're to live this way and have our conversation be marked by graciousness and saltiness is so that we may know how to answer everyone. So that we will know how to answer everyone. Not a general answer for everyone, but so that we can engage with individuals where they are as Jesus did throughout his ministry and meet them there. And have the discerning wisdom and spiritual insight and Christian maturity and theological formation to enter into discussion with them and give them wise answers, regardless of what their questions are. Ultimately, I decided to say theological formation here instead of biblical formation because I think there is a degree to which over the last 75 years or so, maybe 100 years, um, Western Christianity, especially evangelicalism in the United States, has produced a, a sort of um, subset of people in church who were very biblically knowledgeable, but they could not speak well about where the biblical text met the world we find ourselves in. They were not theologically formed by what they were reading so that they understood how it fits together and how it speaks to an ever-changing world and how it speaks to the season of life that we're in. We didn't do a good job in our churches of helping them see and grasp and hold on to the big story, the single story of Scripture, and understanding where everything fits, which makes us more well-rounded as believers. Let me read to you, just simply read to you a passage that will be familiar with, uh, familiar to so many of you, but just listen to the formation language here. That Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves 
blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people with their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. This is a picture that goes uh, beyond mere acquisition of knowledge and learning to formation so that we understand as individuals and as a body where, in a sense, the Bible meets the newspaper, if you will. R.C. Sproul, in a series of lectures, said, Here, then, is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. It is work. And I'll tell you this, theological formation is work. But it's work Christ has called all of us to. Not just me, not just those who he's called to go to seminary to preach and teach, but all Christians. We're all being formed theologically, intentionally or accidentally. By the Spirit of Christ, through the truth of Christ's word and his people, or by all kinds of whims and ways and trends of the culture around us. Sproul goes on, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. I do believe there's a large grain of truth here when it comes to what Sproul is saying. When you look at what the church as a whole in our nation, in our time, reads, meaning regular, just everyday uh, professing followers of Jesus Christ coming in and out, if it gets a little hard, we just put that away. We're like, that's for theologians or pastors, or it's not, it's not for me. We want kind of street-level, Max Cato type of writing. I'm not bagging on Lakato. You've got to be impressed with anybody who can write three or four books a, a month. But I'm telling you, listen to me. Theological formation is for you. It's for you. Carl Truman, in his Rise and Triumph of Modern Self, says, Every age has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment, in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. And in this discussion, Truman talks a lot about the de-intellectualizing of the evangelical mind, that we have slowly become a people who are pretty comfortable being pretty ignorant about a whole lot of things, including our own theological history and formation, the scriptures themselves, the time around us. And I think God's calling us back. We can't be obedient to what Paul is charging us to here. Rather, God is charging us to, through Paul, to have our conversation seasoned with grace and salt and be ready, be ready to give legitimate 
well-formed answers to everyone regarding our faith without putting a little effort in it. Marked by theological formation. These four things, prayerfulness, gratitude, gospel centrality, and theological formation are absolutely general markers of health for followers of Jesus. How are you doing this morning with these? Where would you need to lean into Christ and say, help me in this area, give me guidance. Reach out to us if you say, I'm struggling in this area. What would you suggest I do? That's what we're here for. Email us, let us help you, let us walk with you, let us pray for you. Let us give some resources to you that are going to help you get healthier in this way. Maybe this morning, I pray that for some of you this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God alone, this morning is a bit of a wake-up call. You look at Paul's words in Colossians 2, 4, or Colossians 4, 2 through 6. You look at how we've talked about this and framed it and said, man, I'm, I'm not very healthy. I am. Uh, I was at the YMCA yesterday working out because it's really important to work out once a week. And I was sitting in there. The twins were back in childcare. And I was working out and I was doing a, a series, uh, several sets of reps on a particular machine. People were crazy over there on the freeways, grunting and yelling and clapping. So I'm over there on the machine where I can't injure myself at my heightened age. And across from me, I was watching, it's pretty narrow way. I look across from me and there are a couple of men in their early 50s. A couple of men in their early 50s. And they're working out. And I want to be delicate here. Uh, if, we were, if we were using houses as a metaphor, uh, one of them would be a house that, say, might need to be condemned. All right? that you would find a note stuck up on the door by the fire marshal or somebody else, this house should not be lived in. It's just nearly ready to fall down on itself. The other one, let's say, might represent a new build, right? Both about the same age, both talking and sharing. And I'm sitting here watching and listening to this, knowing that I've had not the best trajectory over the last six or seven years myself. And it was a wake-up call for me, right? Because I'm staring at 50. It's out there a little bit in the distance still, but it's coming for me. It's coming for me. And when I was in, I remember going to sleep, and I've shared this with you guys. Well, not, we live in California, or trying to go to sleep, and anxiety began to grab hold of me because I thought, man, this month I turned 35, and 35 is almost 40. 40 is nearly 50, and it's over at 50. And I got so amped up, like I could see my coffin. I could see my funeral, where I wanted to be buried. I, I hope it's not over at 50 now. But what I did see was I've got a choice here. And it was a wake-up call for me to say, look, I have my annual physical coming up here in just a few months. And I intend to go in there, and this is good accountability to announce this before you, but I intend to go in there a good bit lighter than I am right now. 
in better both health and, and fitness um, sort of state than I am now. But I'll tell you, it wasn't lost on me as I was looking at these gentlemen and listening to them that it was a great metaphor or visible picture of this morning's message. Maybe some of you this morning, if you were a spiritual house, you'd be in danger of being condemned. Maybe some of you would be like a new build. Maybe some of you are like a, like a long-settled home where it's just solid and stable. The trees are large. There's no more cracking in the windows or anything like that. It's stable. Wherever you are this morning, these four markers I pray you'll take seriously. Because we could find passage after passage after passage after passage after passage where we find the same markers, worded slightly differently but given to us as characteristics of Christian health. And these are characteristics of Christian health. If you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, the most important thing you could do is give your life to Jesus Christ. The most important thing you could do is repent of your sin, agree with God that you are rebellious and sinful before him and in need of a Savior and trust in Jesus as that Savior. Say this morning for the first time, Lord, I say yes. I feel your spirit moving in me. I know I'm a sinner and I trust you. I trust what you did on the cross for me. And then you turn and you follow Jesus. And if that's the tug of your heart this morning, and you know you're saying yes to Christ for the first time, before you leave, let us know that. Mark the back of the connection card. It's a place on the top left where you can let us know that by God's mercy and grace, through the power of the Spirit, you became a follower of Jesus this morning. We want to celebrate with you and follow up with you. Let's stand. In just a minute, we're going to respond to God, to His Word, through worship, through communion. We're going to reflect, hopefully, on where we are individually before the Lord with regard to these markers of prayerfulness, gratitude, lives defined by gospel centrality, and growing theological formation. If you are a baptized believer here with us this morning, we invite you, if you feel led, at any time while we're singing, while the worship band is leading us uh, to step out, to make your way to a communion station. There's two at the back. There are two at the front. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the juice. Make your way off to the side. Spend a moment in prayer thanking God that it's through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that you're able to draw near to him and be renewed. That these markers, these characteristics of healthy followers of Jesus are able to be increased and expanded in your own life. Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. 